Throughout Latin America in the 1960s and 70s, Cold War fever and export-based economy led to the rise of dictatorships that restricted social change and stockpiled the wealth into the pockets of a select few. Many of you are familiar with that history. Like always, there were leaders in the church that supported those in power and facilitated the oppression of the masses. However, in the countryside of places like Brazil and Colombia and Chile and Mexico, there were simple priests who recognized something familiar in this landscape of oppression. They drew on the narratives of God liberating the Israelites from the oppression of slavery under Pharaoh, from Jeremiah speaking out against the tyrannical heresy of King Manasseh, and with Jeremiah speaking out against those who were depriving workers of their wages and using their wealth to offer sacrifice to Baal. These priests drew on the story of Jesus traveling the Palestinian countryside under Roman occupation. A priest in Peru named Gustavo Gutierrez thought of that biblical narrative as he looked around and he said, I come from a continent in which more than 60% of the population lives in a state of poverty. And 82% of those find themselves in extreme poverty. Gustavo Gutierrez identified the need to move toward a theology of liberation. A liberation from poverty and oppression. Liberation from greed and anything that keeps us from God. Other Latin American church leaders agreed. They began calling their approach liberation theology. They said it and they lived it in different ways, in different places. In Brazil, they formed Comunidades Ecclesial de Basi, base ecclesial communities in which Catholic masses, this is crazy, but Catholic masses involved the distribution of wealth and goods in their services. In Haiti, liberation theology resulted in a priest becoming the first elected president from that country. In Medellin in 1968, theologians decided on the common phrase to describe what they observed. They call it God's preferential option for the poor. These theologians understood that it was the work of God in the church to liberate people from the heavy weight of poverty and exploitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To the impoverished and oppressed in Latin America, that was good news. Gospel. Gospel from the old English, God spell, or good story, good spiel. Good spiel. Just like radical Latin American priests in the 1960s and 70s, just like Jesus in Roman-occupied Palestine, St. Francis was born and lived in a time of political unrest. It was the time of Pope Innocent 
the third. You know a guy who calls himself Pope Innocent <laughs> has got to be trouble. Just got to be bad. Uh, Pope Innocent was one of the most powerful and influential of the middle, medieval popes. He claimed supremacy over all the kings of Europe. <laughs> Innocent greatly extended the scope of the Crusades by turning uh, the focus toward uh, Muslim Spain and to the Holy Land and to the Cathars in, in southern France. He organized the Fourth Crusade uh, from uh, 1202 to 1204, which ended in the disastrous sack of Constantinople. If anybody doesn't know this history, you should read it. It's crazy. It was basically it was a crusade against other Christians. Uh, in, in which they basically they raided all the relics and all the, the stuff from Constantinople. All the people from, the we, from Western Europe came over and took over Constantinople, which led to the schism between East and West in Christianity that continues today. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> he doesn't like Pope Innocent either. Or she. Sorry, she. <laughs> So while Pope Not-So-Innocent was sending folks off to foreign lands to die for unclear causes, a young man in northern Italy named Francis was roaming the countryside dressed in a wool tunic. After hearing a sermon on Jesus' sending of the disciples out with next to nothing, Francis chose a life of poverty out with the people. He roamed the countryside talking to ordinary people he met about the virtues of seeking God through sharing with others. And people liked what he had to say. Many began following him around and living the same way that he was living. Think Forrest Gump on his run, right? Forrest is off on his run and people just are like, oh man, I gotta go do that. I gotta... I don't know what he's doing, but I'm going to go try it too. Eventually, this little group grew into a big group, so, and the group got so big that Pope Innocent reluctantly designated them their own religious order. This is all within like a, a dozen years or so. It's all very, it happens really quickly. And while Innocent was waging war, St. Francis was sowing peace. In 1219, Francis almost ended the Fifth Crusade when he traveled on his own, no army, nobody with him, goes off to the Sultan of Egypt, basically knocks on the, a door, the door of the sieged uh, town there, and, and, and says, I would like to meet with uh, the Sultan, please. <laughs> and he did. He did it. Uh, and it actually caused a little like ceasefire. There's, there's so much we could say about Francis, and I, even just that one moment we could talk, there's a lot we could say. Francis worked with lepers. He was the first to receive the stigmata. He's the namesake of uh, one of the biggest cities here in our own state and country. And of course, the thing that many people associate with Francis is his love of the natural world. Often Francis is depicted as this like garden gnome, right? With like birds perching on his hand and on his shoulders. And he's, you know, there in stone. And some people turn to the, the canticle of the sun in which he petitions God alongside brother sun and sister moon. Man, that, it's so good. If you haven't read that in a while, check that out. In this era 
of impending climate change, the ecological awareness and entwining of theology in the natural world that comes with the legacy of Francis is crucial. It is crucial. But we do a great disservice to ourselves and to the divine when we limit our depictions of St. Francis to some hippie Dr. Doolittle. Francis embodied the good news of liberation. That good news, like the liberation theology of the past century. He was a reformer. He was a revolutionary. But his revolution was not an armed pursuit of power. One of the things that Francis contributed to Christian culture was the nativity set. The nativity set. He was the one that popularized that. And I love that. I love how much Francis said through that simple action, that simple depiction. A nativity set reveals God in the midst of animals, in the midst of simple people doing the one simple thing we all do. Birth. Birth. It reminds us that God is with us here in the natural world. It also reminds us that God seeks us through vulnerability. Through childlike simplicity and relationship. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Did you hear that today? I'm guessing that this line disturbs some of you, it disturbs me. I long to be wise and intelligent, right? That's kind of what we're doing here around the the university. That's what folks are pursuing, this wisdom and intelligence, this learning. And I love that. And I recognize that it is dangerous how politicians, one in particular, engender hatred by shunning the educated and formed as elitist. But that is not what Jesus is saying. In Jesus' time, children were not revered as cherubs. They were disregarded. They were often thought of as immature and burdensome. Jesus is taking an image of the marginalized, the forgotten, and saying that they were the preferential option. They had the preferential option. Infants. Not children, infants, newborns, those crying, helpless blobs of flesh that wear their parents out. <laughs> Talk about the weary in need of rest. I think the, tired, the most tired I've ever been in my entire life was with our first son, 
Henry, he was, you know, he had colic and, and reflux, and he just had a really hard time and hardly ever slept, so we hardly ever slept. I remember going out on the couch with him, you know, always, it was always at like 4.30 in the morning, like just before the day is kind of about to get rolling, but you can't actually get up yet. And I'd go out there and, and I'd just like bounce with him kind of, and then we'd lie down on the, on the uh, couch, and that's where we'd sleep. We'd sleep there for a good hour, and that felt amazing. Rest. For the weary. This analogy is a perfect complement to the famous saying of St. Francis. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Without words, infants understand something that we who are wise and learned often miss. They know what love is. I'm bringing it back to Forrest Gump. You knew it was coming. You guys remember that line from Forrest Gump? Jenny's been home and with them, and they're like trying to work, like live together. And Forrest Gump turns to her and says, Why don't you love me? And she says, Oh, I do love you, Horace. And he says, Forrest says, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. Forgive me, that was the worst accent ever. <laughs> but you know the point. Jesus is saying that we all know what love is. At least we knew when we were infants. We could recognize someone caring for us, someone providing for us. This is the great leveler. Jesus is saying that we are all born with an aptitude for God. The ability to love and be loved is something we are born with. God, love, life is natural. We might forget it. We might get turned away from it, but it is accessible to everyone, everywhere. By virtue of life, by virtue of birth, by virtue of breath, we are all connected to that divine source like a baby to mother's milk. Through this subversive revolution of love, we stand to be liberated from our isolation, from the myth of independence from this planet, from the lies of consumerism and loneliness. We are never alone. Together, we are forever united to the ground of all being. That is the power of the gospel. That is the liberation of love. That is the truth that infants can teach us. Our need for one another. Amen.